Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, a show where we tell the untold stories behind the people who make law firms operate. When I first met today's guest, Sarah Evenson, I was incredibly intimidated by her. She's a brilliant overachiever who went to law school, but then found her true passion was not in practicing law, but in recruiting, developing, and mentoring future attorneys for both her firm and the legal profession. I'm Amanda Copeless, Executive Director for a mid-sized law firm in Central Florida. And I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer at Centerbase. Sarah is the Director of Law School Programs and the Minneapolis Office Administrator for Barnes & Thornburg. She is also the current President of the Association of Legal Administrators. When Sarah talks, people listen, and this episode will be no exception. Let's dive in. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Hopefully, we have some fun stuff planned for you, but we'll see. It just kind of goes off the cuff here. I decided I was going to do your intro, and while I wrote some stuff out, I then looked at your law firm website, and I realized yeah. that they wrote something some really nice stuff about you. And first of all, my website doesn't say anything like this <laughs> nice. <laughs> about me. I don't know that Rob is even on his company's website. So um, can I just read this real quick? Because it feels so good to me. It says, Sarah Evenson, Director of Law School Programs and Minneapolis Office Administrator, is invested in helping others succeed. She gets her greatest energy and joy in seeing others find and fulfill their passions. Doesn't she sound like a great person? Man, I'm going to call you to start reading books to my kids, too. (laughs) <laughs> you made as that long sound as they nice. have as long as they have the same attention span as you i'm set okay <laughs> it's nice but it's also true right it goes in and saying authentic and personable and when we did your pre-call you said that people tell you they were scared they're intimidated by you why is that i don't know why because i don't feel like i give off that energy ever I think it's the um, the fact that I've gone to school for so, so long. And oh, I yeah, have, I forgot all about that. I'll come back to that. <laughs> I have all those, you know, fun letters after my name. I think it's just a perception thing about lawyers, right? And it's something that follows me wherever I go. But once you get to know me, that all just melts away. So usually it's just <laughs> like an initial impression before people meet me. So I did forget all of that. So Sarah is a recovering lawyer. She also has her MBA. She also has a bachelor's in accounting and business administration is like a double major. Did you go to school twice? Because <laughs> I, I, I went to undergrad for five years. Oh, my. Oh, my gosh. How long yeah. were you in school total for all those things? Um, well, let's see. So five years for undergrad, three years for law school. I started doing my MBA program at night during my second year of law school. So I went to law school during the day and I got my MBA at night. And then I think I finished that two years after I graduated from law school. because I took a year off just to, you know, settle into the first year of practice. It was too much already. So underachiever basically is what you're saying. I like school. (laughs) That's one thing my parents told me go to school as long as you can afford it. And I went like about three years longer than I could afford it. <laughs> I'd love to see your student loan payment. Oh, done, done, You're done. Kidding. Last you. year, oh last year I made my final student loan payment. And here's the best part, Amanda. And Rob. Okay. <laughs> Our restaurant bill 
for the night that we went out to celebrate was twice <laughs> as much as my last student loan payment. That's awesome. <laughs> So what you're saying is now you can finally afford to eat. <laughs> eat out at fancy restaurants. Good for you. That's quite the accomplishment. So, so apparently you're the queen of icebreakers. And so I don't have we, an official crown, but yes. Oh, we I can, can get you a crown. One. We can get you one. Like ice shaped. Like yeah, ice don't shape. worry. Andres, we need a crown. We need a crown over here. Okay. So what we're going to do is throw a few icebreaker questions at you to get things kicked Ooh. off. Okay. Uh, so to start, if you had a superpower, what would it be? <laughs> Ooh, um, be invisible. Oh, Ooh. interesting. <laughs> I want to be in all those rooms that I'm not in, listening to all the things I want to know. But what if they're talking about you? They're only going to be saying good things, Amanda. Okay, because I was going to say, if I was invisible and walking into rooms, nobody is ever going to be talking nice about me. So Fact. <laughs> are we going back and forth on this? I've got one. These are the cringiest icebreaker questions. Yeah, go way. ahead. That's okay. Okay. If you were an animal, what kind would you be? Uh, ooh, ooh, we've done this. Um, we've done this virtually on an app in a on an, somebody's iPhone on the board, we haven't this. we? Yes. Um, yes. I was actually a lion, I believe. So I'm gonna go with that. A little fearless, I guess. Maybe I am a little scary in the beginning. If I'm I was gonna say, you just made yourself the queen of all animals. So that would be pretty. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, maybe I should pay attention to that. <laughs> okay, Sarah, the invisible lion. Is a yes. hot dog a sandwich? Yes. Ooh. It is? She was very quick on wow. the draw on that one. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said yes, so I'm going to say yes. Okay. <laughs> if, it, if, it is, if it has been spoken from on high. Yes. All right. What is your hidden talent? I can, it's not very hidden much anymore, but I can say all 50 states in alphabetical order. Wow. Wow. Rob can't even name you half do like the school. states in any alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> if there was like a line on over under how many states we could name between the two of us and you weren't competing, I think we could Sarah, get there. Be, you think we could get all yeah. 50? Yeah. I think maybe after. Get, I mean, maybe after. I may be high 20s, but uh, I don't know that we'd get all. <laughs> okay, we'll throw one more at you. This is the very quintessential one. Okay. If you could have any three dinner guests, dead or alive, who would they be? Ooh, I think I would actually go family and not like famous people. Oh. I think I'd want to have dinner with like my two nanas and my grandpa just to get their like sage advice because they know me so well, right? And I think we would have really good and meaningful conversation right now versus when the last time is that we got to have that conversation. So that's what I would do. That's such a better answer. Mine is the impractical jokers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Sarah. So if it weren't your family members, who would it be? I would love, love, love to meet Oprah. We both love Maui. Mm-hmm. And so we have that in common. So I like to go to Maui quite a bit. And she has a big estate in Kula, which I love to go to because there's lavender fields. Mm. I don't know who else it would be. Maybe one of the Corys <laughs> from my childhood. 
I was like, you just aged yourself. And again, Rob's like, Corey, who? I'm going to say Corey Haim over Corey Feld. Yeah, I'm going to go Corey. Corey's. Okay. I like it. Amanda, you now we'll go into cut. some. I didn't know. It's okay. <laughs> she has dinner with me all the time. So um, she's already subjected to that nightmare. Okay, Sarah. So we alluded to this when we've talked about your background a little bit. And when you came on today, I was joking that you had your pearls on mm-hmm. and you called them your lawyer pearls. Yes. So can you tell us, number one, why you call them your lawyer pearls? But then also, can you tell us about being a reformed lawyer? So when I first started practicing law, I noticed all of the experienced female lawyers when I was in court, all when they went to court, all wore pearls and I didn't have (laughs) pearls. So I felt like I wasn't like a real lawyer yet. And so um, my husband bought me my first set of um, pearls and um, he asked me where I wanted them and what kind I wanted and all that stuff. And I said, well, if you're going to buy me pearls, I want Mikimoto pearls. (laughs) I'm sorry. Why are you asking me the options? Um, And so he, um, for Christmas the following year, did this big, long card and then surprised me with this um, gift, which is awesome. And I wear it during all my special occasions and time fancy and remember going what life was like being a lawyer and going to court all the time. (laughs) So why did you stop being a lawyer? It kind of goes back to my second year of law school. I kind of knew after my first year of law school, I didn't like love the law. Like I liked the law and I really wanted to help people, but I didn't like love the law. Like everybody else in law school, like my husband, capital L, (laughs) love, bold, underline, italicized, high, footnoted law right like wakes up and is like I can't wait to go sue people and I was just like I just want to help I don't want to fight with you let's just figure out how to make this work so that's why I started doing my MBA at night because I really kind of knew the law wasn't something I was it wasn't matching with my personality yeah however I had one of those conversations with my grandmother I was thinking about quitting law school because I kind of knew I didn't want to be a lawyer And she's like, Sarah, how do you know you don't like doing it? You only have one year of school left. You can't, you can't quit. You might be the next Marsha Clark. And I was like, (laughs) I don't think I want to be the next Marsha Clark, but okay. So she convinced me to um, keep going. I met with a lot of career counselors who told me all the amazing, wonderful things you can do with a law degree other than practicing law. But I still knew I wanted to get my MBA as well. And that allowed me to enter into my legal career because ultimately I graduated from law school. I was one of the lucky ones to get a full-time job offer straight out of law school because when I graduated in 02, it wasn't a recession, but it wasn't a good economy, right? Right. So there was a lot of people, a lot of really, really smart people who did not get jobs as a lawyer when we graduated. Right. And so... I said, what the heck? I'll try it out. See what happens. Ended up doing it for just sort of a decade, right? Again, I loved helping people. I loved solving problems and working to help people that couldn't represent their positions themselves. Yeah. Ultimately, um, my husband and I, my husband is a lawyer as well. So we met in law school and we were both kind of on that partnership track. Like 
working 78 hours a week, you know what I mean? Living Mm -hmm. that life of where we get to see each other maybe at dinner and Sunday. Because way back when we went to law school, you were in the office on Saturdays and attendance Mm -hmm. was taken. Like Mm -hmm. you went into the office on Saturdays and worked. And it just, if we wanted to have a family, that wasn't going to work. So I had the MBA. I had the flexibility to go do something else. So I left the practice, took about a year off, really, to just like figure out what I wanted to do in life. I was lucky enough to have that opportunity to have that time to make a decision. And during that time, I actually went on the board of directors of an energy company. I was the only female and the youngest by about 25 years, right? (laughs) The Governor of Minnesota selected me to serve on the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice, which I served on for about eight years, which is the board that licenses and um, unlicenses attorneys (laughs) and uh, uh, physicians, not attorneys, um, in the state of Minnesota. And I explored going into all these other professionals, service opportunities and careers. And ultimately what I realized is I love the hustle and bustle of law firms. I love working with really wicked, smart, mm-hmm. driven people who push me right, um, in all the right ways to do my absolute best and perform at my best. So I ultimately came back to law firms. My first job in law firm management was actually a hybrid position. I worked part-time as a lawyer and part-time in office administration because nobody believed that I didn't want to practice law anymore. (laughs) Like, why would you? I would have believed it. Had you told me, I would have believed it. Why would would you do that? That was just basically me saying yes to two full-time jobs, not two part-time jobs. Um, Ultimately, I got recruited away from that firm and then recruited away um, to Barnes and Thornburg, where I am currently. And I've been here for eight years now. Wow. And now you've landed in a position that I think you're just so uniquely suited for, right? Which is the director of law school programs. And I'll let you explain what that is a little bit. But in my little small brain, it basically means that you help people who are coming out of law school end up where they want to be. And right. I mean, is that the basic way to put it? So you're giving the advice to people that were in the same position you were. Yeah, I have a lot of I have the opportunity to have a lot of conversations with students all over the country from students in college who are just thinking about going to law school to actual law students who are struggling to figure out what do I want to do when I get out of law school? Is this law thing even something I want to do? I probably have at least one 20 minute conversation a day with students wow. from all over. And it is amazing to just be that person that asks them the questions. Nobody else knows the right way to ask them to help them mm-hmm. self-reflect. So they're always asking me for an answer and I never give them the answer. I always ask them a question back, which really allows them to self-direct, to realize what they need to be thinking about, what their goals are. My role in the firm is to help my firm create the future of what our law firm is going to look like. And that's an awesome opportunity that 
is almost like a hidden opportunity that I didn't know existed in this position. I thought, well, I'm a lawyer. I remember going through on-campus interviews. I remember how stressful it was to get a job. Yeah. I remember that and I can sympathize with that and I can build a better experience for students who are interested in Barnes and Thornburg. One of those questions that, you know, when you're having these conversations, obviously you've done it so many times. Are there certain questions that you always find yourself asking the students? I always have them think back to when they decided that they were actually going to law school. Mm -hmm. And is that still hold true for them now? Mm. So I have them go back to, because it's a big decision to take on all that debt and spend three years of your life and everything (laughs) else you're giving up to dedicate it to those three or four years, depending on what kind of program you go to. So I have them go back to that moment to see if that still rings true to them. And if it doesn't say, well, what, what is it that you're passionate about? What is it that excites you and kind of go along those lines and then help connect them to the different opportunities that you can do, even if you want to stick through law school, because there's so many opportunities that students who have not been exposed to the legal industry don't even know exist, right? Mm -hmm. Legal industry is run more like a business now more than ever. Right. So there's all these other opportunities to work with lawyers, use your JD in just a different way. And um, knowing that those opportunities are even out there um, allows them to get out of that linear thinking that you definitely get into when you're in law school. I'm going to go to be a lawyer. I'm going to go work at a law firm. I'm going to go be in a courthouse. Or I'm going to be negotiating contracts. There's so and much seven more and a half do. years later. I'm going to be a partner. And three years after that, I'm going to be an equity partner or yeah, yep. the very yep. linear. Exactly. Path. So how many of those people got their career decisions made for them by calling a 1-800 number when they were in college? Probably just one. <laughs> I, I love this story. Can you please tell us this story? Yeah, 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 yeah. So when I was in my fifth year of college, yes. <laughs> so I um, had two roommates, Chris and Leisha. And way back when I was in college, we had Miss um, Cleo, who was this psychic phone person <laughs> that you would call. And the commercial said you get your first four minutes free. Right. So we were, you know, having a fun Saturday night, probably around midnight, maybe one (laughs) o'clock. Right. Hanging out in our apartment. I did a lot of different things on Saturday (laughs) night in college. Amanda, I'm going to cut you right there. Leave it. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) And we were sitting around on our landline phone with it on speaker. Right. Um, calling this 1-800 or 1-900 Miss Cleo, or I'm pretty sure it was Miss Cleo. And we would each take turns getting our four free minutes to see just what they would say, right? Because you definitely had to hang up at 350 because you didn't oh, want to get yeah. part. Otherwise, you're paying 995 a minute. Yeah. Or more. <laughs> and so I'm the last one in the apartment to call Miss Cleo. <laughs> And um, the psychic on the other line starts going, are you okay? Are you in trouble? And I was like, I'm looking around like, like I'm the last person that's ever going to be in trouble. Like I'm a rule follower. No, no. And she's like, oh, I have great concerns for you. And all of my like roommates are just like, what? What does she know? She goes, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry, but. I 
I think you're going to jail or prison or something. And I was just like, what? She goes, I see you surrounded by the law for the rest of your life. <laughs> wow. And I hadn't even like decided to go to law. I haven't even taken the LSAT or anything like that. And it wasn't until I was in law school that my roommate reminded me of that conversation and how much, how funny it was. Cause Sarah's not going to jail. Sarah's not going to prison. Like it was just like silly. And they're like, clearly this is just dumb and fake. And then they're like, remember when we called Miss Cleo? Oh my yeah. gosh. I think we need to name the episode, whatever the 1-800 number is. It was probably a 1-900 number. 1-900? Yeah. Rob, so we talked about this yeah. on our tech test. Have you ever called a 1-900 number? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Yes. <laughs> Members of your marketing team who are younger than you had no idea what we were talking about. Oh. They were like landlines i'm so confused is that yeah I had a paying landline. for long distance you're always worried that one of your parents were going to pick up and listen mm-hmm. to your conversation <laughs> why are you laughing amanda time to get off the phone rob i know right? i know yeah time i to don't want to know what conversations you were having that you were afraid for your parents to listen in on when you wants anybody who who wants anybody no i'm just talking about being on the phone on the landline oh, you don't okay. just having people listen not the one nine hundred numbers <laughs> no to, to keep things clear no never that, that's where that. my head is going no, unfortunately no. okay okay all right <laughs> so back in line back to the game all right yeah. seriousness so sarah one of the things that you also have been very instrumental in helping with are some of your firm's social outreaches and you are very proud of what you have been able to accomplish even in this last two and a half years. And I think Barnes and Thorberg is really leading the efforts on this in big law. And I think there's a lot of firms who are trying to catch up to this, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're doing and, and what you've been able to accomplish just in the past couple of years? Being in the Minneapolis office, being the epicenter of some of the racial and social justice issues in our country and world spurred a lot of conversation as it did at most firms, right? A lot of firms uh, made a lot of statements. A lot of firms started having training and outreach and conversation. And we did all that, right? We had weekly office conversations where we just talked about and the things we were experiencing and feeling, and um, we use that ABA um, reading toolkit, you know, oh, yeah. to guide some of our conversations. We had already a great leadership within our diversity, equity, and inclusion area. But at that point, when it's happening in your backyard, mm-hmm. and you're having to close your office so much because you are in fear for the safety of your employees, and you have to call and check on your employees, right? To see if they're to see if uh-uh, they're even no, okay. No. Oh, was, Sarah, you did this to me at annual conference. Don't cry. I will cry. <laughs> it was okay. a very difficult time, right? Because we had employees who lived right near that area and had to spend all night up protecting their house, yeah, making sure that they could go get food even, right? So what I'm really proud about our firm is we talk the talk and then we took action. So we put meaning behind our words. And that's what um, 
helped us to start the Racial and Social Justice Foundation and the Racial and Social Justice Committee within our firm. So two new additions to our firm at that point. So the foundation started two years ago, and it started as an employee-only funded foundation. Mm-hmm. And through that funding, the first year we provided four $50,000 grants wow. to organizations within our cities that were doing things to address racial and social justice issues within our community. This past year in 2022, we raised $300,000. Wow. wow. And that's all employee driven. That's exciting. And last year we gave out six $50,000 grants to different organizations in the different cities that we have offices in. And the part that um, makes this sticky, I guess is the right word for me, is that the firm said, it's not just money. We're not just giving you money and then saying, good luck. Thanks. You know, thanks for the marketing opportunity and moving on. We have ongoing relationships with those organizations where we provide pro bono services. Oh, that's great. We follow through and invite them to different events and organizations. And we continue to help promote the programs that our grants help to start as seed money, which is really, really exciting to see. The other part of um, the Racial and Social Justice Committee, which is an internal committee that works on both internal and external facing efforts in the racial social justice area. And I got to have one of my ideas presented to that committee and it got approved and it got launched last year. And that was my pre-law scholars program, which is essentially providing um, scholarship and mentorship to undergrad students or recently graduated students who have demonstrated financial need. And we pay for their LSAT prep course, their LSAT actual exam and their law school applications while also providing them a mentor for the year as they're putting them in their applications to law school. So that to me was where my gap I -hmm. saw because so many, they call them talent pipelines, right? Right. Actually start in law school. When in fact, when you talk to a lot of the law students, like I do, Mm -hmm. so many delayed going to law school because of the administrative burden, the financial burden. Right. I don't know anybody that's ever gone to law school. So I didn't even understand the timeline of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to be able to help people get to law school was kind of that next level support that I wanted to see started to help continue to get a more diverse pool of people to law school. It's a barrier to entry, I think, that people don't realize until you have gone there, like you're talking about the the application, the LSAT prep course, which you have to take in order to compete with people who are taking it at the same time in order to get the highest scores so that you can get to the best schools. Even that small barrier of not being able to afford 
the prep class can set you up for failure because there's so many firms that if you go to the wrong law school and you're not going to go into the right firm. And so I think that's incredible in that really thinking further back than you're on campus interviewing and you're hiring your attorneys before their attorneys is, it's great, not only for your firm, but also for the profession in general, right? Well, and that's the focus, right? Because none of these students that we are sponsoring or mentoring, a lot of them want to go back into positions in government or public service, right? They may never become part of our summer associate program, but they are bettering the legal profession by them just being there. Right. And we're better because they're there. It's exciting. It's so exciting to talk to them and all of their accomplishments and um, things that they've already done in their life, right? It's already amazing. And it's just the fuel on their fire for them to rocket to that next level of service to the world. It's exciting. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Could we switch topics for a minute and talk about the ALA and your ALA involvement? First, could you start with how you became involved with the ALA and then talk about your decision to run for president as well? My first ALA experience, I shared this at annual conference, but it was my husband's law firm administrator who told me, you have to come to this happy hour. Like you've been a member for a year, just come to a happy hour and meet people. I mean, for gosh sakes, they're going to give you two drink tickets, Sarah, just show up. (laughs) So the best part is I go there and he wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) So I, of course, well, went to the bar um, and got introduced to a lot of amazing people. And um, Sarah Diedrichson um, walked me around and introduced me to a whole bunch of people. And that's when I really started stop being a member and realize started realizing the power of ALA is in the in-person and connection and conversation you have. And that allowed me to start talking and networking with people. And it kind of just ballooned from there. I remember um, ALA had a regional conference in Minneapolis yeah. and um, Sherry Tyvee. Yep. I mean, my former boss know, you know. and my mentor. Yep. She was hosting and told all of us that we are wearing fish hats and doing <laughs> fish, uh, fishing in the dark dance. And I was like, what is what? Okay, what and it was like a fishing? Minnesota welcome, right? Okay. So we all got these fishing vests and we were wearing fishing hats and we did so basically further dance. proof that Minnesotans are weird. We like to dance. We yeah. like to have fun. Okay. We like to have fun. And so... Through that, I got involved in different local committee work. So a lot of it initially, Rob, was through my local chapter, went through being on the board, became president, became past president. I didn't think it was going to go kind of beyond there, to be quite honest with you. I've had a lot of conversations with different people who are telling me I should run for this or run for that. And I was like, I just need a break. Yeah. I just need a break, right? And so about... I want to say seven or eight months after getting off the ALAMN board, I got a call from April Campbell and she called and she said, were your ears burning this weekend? And I was like, (laughs) no, (laughs) she goes, we've been talking about you this weekend at our last board meeting because we have a board member that needs to resign for a couple different reasons, no longer able to serve. And we'd like you to serve in her position. Wow. And I was like, me? What? (laughs) And so we had a good conversation. 
And I took a whole week to wow. think about it because I knew it was going to be a lot of work. It wasn't something I had planned or prepared to do, right? I knew it was an amazing honor to get asked to do it. I knew if I said yes, I had to do it 110%. Right. So I had to have conversations with my employer, with my spouse. I had to figure out all my other stuff in my life. And am I willing to give that up to go do this, right? So April emailed me on Friday at like three o'clock central. She's like, so do you have a decision yet? Or <laughs> uh, I made her sweat it all, all week. And ultimately I said yes. And it was, again, not something I planned, but sometimes the best things in life happen when you're not planning for it to happen. And somebody else sees something in you that says, we need your skills and talents right now here with us in this room. And it's been amazing. It's been an awesome opportunity to have great conversations, get to meet people, effectuate change in an industry that I am very passionate about being a member of. When it came to running for president, like deciding to go on the board, I didn't submit my application until the very last day, like with an hour left. Again, because when I raise my hand to do something, I don't want to do it even 90%. I want to do it 100% and make sure me and everyone in my life is agreeable to this commitment. And um, I did submit my hat and my name went through the process. It was the one year that it was virtual due to COVID. So I didn't have a cocktail hour or anything like that or meet people um, in person and um, everything was on Zoom, right? And so it was a little intimidating because you just see 15 or 16 boxes and they just start questioning you and you're just like, okay, what what box am I looking (laughs) looking at, right? It really helped to reinforce again why I love doing what I do because it's all about helping people. Our listeners can't see this, but just I'm able to see you as we're having this conversation and and just watching your face as you're you talk about these things, you can tell how passionate you are about them, which is just amazing. So many great causes that you're a part of. I'm lucky. I'm lucky to get opportunities that I have at the time I have and have to have a support team in place because if I didn't have a supportive family, if my law firm wasn't okay with me working as much as I do on ALA and being gone as much as I am with ALA, it doesn't matter what I want, right? Right. It has to work for everybody. And I am just so lucky that all of those stars aligned at the same time that I actually had the opportunity to do it. I remember, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I remember at annual conference this year when you walked out onto the stage and it's a it's a big intimidating stage, right? And you took a minute to compose yourself. And we always joke, my therapist tells me the only emotion I have is emotional contagion where I'm, I can feel other people's emotion, but I don't have my own emotions. But I got all teary and my mascara started running because you took that moment. And it was like the audience wanted to embrace you. And I thought, oh my God, I'm just gonna like start bawling right here. And <laughs> I mean, what was going through your head when that when you were standing there and it was a feeling of support Mm -hmm. that you, I think only 
uniquely get, I feel like, in ALA as an association. I'm a member of lots of different associations. I've been on lots of different boards. ALA is a place where you are absolutely supported in every way possible from people you've never even met. You just had to take it in because you could, I could physically feel it. Right. I could physically feel the energy coming at me. I didn't want to start talking because (laughs) I knew my voice was going to crack, right? Which ultimately it ended up doing, but it was overwhelming the support that you feel on that stage from that entire room of people. And you just kind of have to sit there and take it in because- How often do you walk into your room with people and everybody's like, go, Sarah, we want you to be so good. Usually they're like, okay, I'm going to ask you like some tough questions. And I just want to see if you can reach me. I mean, those are the kinds of rooms. Usually I walk into a room at work and they all want to question me. Right. Right. They want to challenge you. Right. So it was one of those opportunities where you just had to sit and take it in. And that's kind of where some of those great conversations I had with past presidents when I was deciding whether this is something I wanted to do, a piece of advice that they gave me, just live in the moment and the experience and enjoy it. Cause after that, it is a crap ton of work, (laughs) right? That's like, that's your fun day. That's your exciting celebrate you day. And now all the fun and excitement of all the work happens, right? The part that still excites me to know is um, Holly on our Mm -hmm. board of directors came up to me after that and started talking to me about a a conversation she had with another member who was like new to the profession. Right. And she, Uh stop, stop making me cry. She said, All right. See, I'm trying to add comedic by pulling out Kleenex. Okay. All right. We're good. She said she could overhear these younger ALA members say, oh my God, I think I could do that someday. I think she convinced me I can be that person someday. And that's all I ever wanted. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Let's come up with some pretty amazing leadership. It is amazing leadership. And it goes back to what I said about you at the very beginning of this episode where I read the the comment that came from your law firm, which is your passion is watching others succeed and convincing others to succeed. And yes. I think that's that's exciting. Okay. So we have our final segment and it goes right into passion. And that's the one we call Pitch Your Passion. Yes. And you've pitched ALA, but- Overall, the the entire theme of this episode has been passion. But I'm going to give you one last chance to pitch your passion to us and tell us what it is. So sitting at the baseball game the other night with my husband, I go, so you know that podcast thing that I'm doing? (laughs) Right? And he's like, yeah, what's it called again? And I kept calling it almost legal. And he's like, I don't think that's right. Like, he's like, that sounds not appropriate for ALA. Barely legal was a working title. For yeah. yeah. So mostly legal. I, he helped me with the mostly legal because I've been calling it almost legal. I go, what do you think I'm passionate about? And he said, and it's what answer I came up with when you said, you're going to ask me this question. You're passionate about helping people mm-hmm. and doing it in the nicest most supportive way possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing 
in this industry we can do more of is be supportive and just be nice to each other. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take any extra effort to be nice than it does to be a jerk, right? That's my passion. My passion is to help people see helping others is just being nice and kind to each other. And it's that simple. It is literally that simple. So mentoring, helping people with their issues, having a conversation, be in the moment, be nice. That's my passion. Be nice and help people. I must disappoint you on a regular basis on the board of directors. (laughs) I was about to say, Amanda, did you hear that? Be nice. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. It has been fun. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on mostlylegalpodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag.